Please join me in prayer. God, we are here. It is the 11th hour. We are waiting for the Christ child, but we always fear we haven't done enough. And so we thank you for your promise that in your, your eyes we are always enough. By your grace, we are always enough. So God, take away our fears and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear your good news for us this morning. We pray in the name of the coming Christ child. Amen. When I lived in Florida in the 1990s, Dave Barry was one of our state treasures. If you're not familiar with the name, Dave Barry is an author and columnist who at that time was writing a nationally syndicated humor column for the Miami Herald. Rachel always tells me she likes her humor the way she likes her coffee, dark and bitter. <laughs> I prefer mine dry and witty, and Dave Barry fits the bill. In one of his articles, Dave Barry notes the, promise, the prominence of song in our Christmas uh, traditions, but, but he adds, to avoid privileging any one faith tradition over another, schools have dropped any hint of religion altogether and started singing about the weather. At my son's school, he says, there is no longer a Christmas program. They now hold what's re referred to as the winter program, at which they sing increasingly non-memorable songs. Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman, and I am not making this up, a song called Susie Snowflake, which is pretty ironic because we live in Miami. <laughs> a visitor from another planet would assume that our children worship at the Church of Meteorology. Now, I am not a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas music, but honestly, I think God's people have a better song to sing than I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. That better song is the one we hear in today's reading from Luke 1. It is a song about hope and possibility. It is a song about peace and goodwill. It is a song about new life and new beginnings. When God's people sing, what we sing is the good news of Christ finding his way to earth in order that we might find our way back to God. So listen to Mary's song now from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of this servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear the Lord from generation to generation. God has shown strength with the arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped servant Israel in remembrance of mercy 
according to the promise made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This passage is commonly referred to as the Magnificat. The title comes from the first word in Latin, Magnificat anima mea dominum, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now you know the story, after a startling announcement from an angel, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who confirms the angel's message. Mary will give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. An unplanned pregnancy can wreck any woman's life, but instead of bursting into tears, Mary bursts into song. It has become one of the church's oldest hymns, a song about what Mary's dawning understanding of what this baby will mean to the world. Because this is not the mother's sweet lullaby you might expect. These are not gentle or soothing words. They are pointed and radical. Like the child she is carrying, these are words intended to set the world on edge. God is about to work an outrageous reversal in human affairs, Mary says, and she herself is living proof. Contrary to all expectations, God's entry in the world isn't through the power systems of the elite. God's chosen one doesn't appear in strength and majesty, but in weakness and humility. In terms of the power structures of the world, Mary is a nobody the lowest of the low. But she sings about a God who blesses nobodies and ne'er-do-wells while turning the tables on blue bloods and power brokers. Kings wait tables while servants feast. Teenage girls function as God's instruments on earth while the religious professionals fuss and fume. Mary sings while Herod schemes. Now, no offense to the poets or artists or novelists among us, because I have great respect for all those forms of expression, but in this case, I think it matters that Mary sings. The singing is the point. Now listen, I like Broadway as much as the next person, but when you think about it, isn't it just a little odd that characters in musicals just regularly bust out in song? <laughs> but sometimes that's the only way, or at least the best way, we can express what we're feeling. Sometimes good news can only be communicated through song. Picture yourself around the family table singing happy birthday to a beloved grandpa. Grab the hands of those on either side of you for the Lutkin benediction after a Maryville College choir concert. Imagine putting your hand over your heart for the star-spangled banner while the blue angels fly overhead. Wipe a tear from your eye as you link arms and join together in the Vanderbilt alma mater. All right, or Rocky Top or the Tennessee Waltz after the Vols beat Alabama in Neyland Stadium. Same thing. My point is, something about singing 
connects us to one another like nothing else. I want to go back to Dave Barry for a second. I think he's exactly right to pay attention to the role singing plays in our holiday traditions. I selected the hymns in today's service because they are all literally singing about singing. Our choir can tell us something about that. They'll tell you that when you sing, you want to stand up straight so you can get full extension of your lungs and your diaphragm. Occasionally, I invite people to stay seated for a hymn, and the choir grouses about that behind my back. I know why. When you sing, you put your shoulders back, you hold your music out in front of you, and keep your head up. It's not like your hymnal is a shield to defend you, and you're certainly not singing to it. You sing over it, and you glance down at the words if you need to. But you sing out. We sing in worship because singing is not a spectator sport. It is a team sport that involves our whole bodies, mouths and ears and lungs and vocal cords and cardiopulmonary systems, literally worshiping God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And so that all makes me wonder what Mary's song sounded like that day. The Magnificat, these lyrics have been set to music thousands of times since then, but what did it sound like that day? What's the tune? What's the tempo? What's the timbre of Mary's voice? Does she sound like Maria singing, I Feel Pretty from West Side Story? Had Beyonce been around in the first century, I wonder if this might be Mary's version of All the Single Ladies. <laughs> or in an earlier era, I Am Woman. Or Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Maybe you're picturing the Warvy gals from Oh Brother Where Art Thou singing Angel Band. As for me, I want to believe that Mary sounds a lot like Carol King. Grounded, solid. Think about it. Carol King is Jewish. She's smart and she's funny. And she feels the earth move under her feet. Because however we want to glamorize or idealize or romanticize the birth of Jesus, Mary knows that this song is not child's play. She knows that this baby is going to turn the world upside down. The very prim and proper Scottish theologian and biblical scholar William Barclay calls the Magnificat a lovely poem full of dynamite. Mary's song puts the powers that be on notice which means that it's a song of shocking news, but it's also a song of good news. Good news for the proud and powerful who will be relieved of their swelled heads. Good news for the hungry who will be filled with good things. Good news for the rich who will be sent away empty so that they have room in them for more than money can buy. In 1977, Dolly Parton recorded Light of a Clear Blue Morning. 
It came at one of the darkest moments of her life, professionally and personally. She had been sued by a friend and former musical partner for $3 million, which was way more than she was worth at the time, and she just got slammed in the press. And as she was coming to the end of that struggle, she wrote about having hope in a life beyond the darkness. It sounds to me like Dolly's song is just an echo of Mary's. It's been a long, dark night, and I've been awaiting for the morning. It's been a long, hard fight, but I see a brand new day of dawning, because I can see the light of a clear blue morning. I can see the light of a brand new day, and everything's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I don't need to tell you what a flaming hot mess the world is right now. But I'm taking my cues from Mary and from Dolly. God's mercy is for us. And it's going to be okay. Amen?